Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 185 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers, and I am here, as always, with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So today we are addressing something that has come requested many times, and that is the logistical details of air travel and car travel when you have really little kids. Yeah. It's kind of giving us PTSD a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I think I put that in the outline somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it is the holiday season right now, but this comes up in the summer. It comes up all year round. And interestingly, I have way more experience flying on airplanes with really little kids, and I think you have logged way more longer road oh trips. Oh my gosh, so many road trips when they were really little. So yeah, So we kind of, kind of fun. Yeah, it's an easy way to split it up. And you know, I, I had done a couple of road trips, but you've done way more and vice versa with the air travel. So that is going to be our fun topic for today. And as we put this together, it is really mostly about the really little tiny kids because number one, you just get, it's something you get so much better at after the first couple of years. And it gets enormously easier once they can, let's be honest, like play on an iPad or they're potty trained. So it's like one of those things that's so hard up until about, I don't know, two and a half, three, three and a half. And then it, it just, the whole curve just like flattens out completely. So I think we will spend most of our time with the little, the little guys, but we'll probably have a few tips for, you know, older kids as well. Yeah. And I will say the, the, the only thing that, that might extend that a bit on road trips is that there's always that like when they're potty trained, but not like for real, for real potty yeah. trained yet. And you're driving and it's like the middle of the night. and <laughs> Like not on the family schedule of potty. Uh, yeah, exactly. And there's no place to stop. I've had, I have some funny <laughs> stories about that. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, also at the end of this episode, Allison is back. Allison is our resident, one of our resident newer moms who's been coming on to talk about transitioning from one baby to two. And she hasn't been on for about a month, but she's back with her birth story of baby number two and an update on how things are going. Um, and that's really fun because the rest of the segments we'd recorded with her were actually before the baby was born. Um, So this is like a really fun update. So listen through to the end and you'll hear my chat with Allison. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we start with the sponsor? Sure. I'm excited to talk about our sponsor, Spangler Science Club. It's a monthly subscription box for kids aged five to 12. And the kits all contain STEM-based experiments and challenges that kids can do at home. So you might know Steve Spangler. He's an educator turned TV personality. He's been on Ellen. You've probably seen him. And his mission is to make science learning fun for kids. So he created these kits with an award-winning team of educators and experts. Yeah, they are really well-designed. We got to try out the STEM Lab subscription, and each month's kit is themed around a different idea, and it comes with several experiments and challenges, and then all the materials the kids need to do those. But I have to say, I kind of expected the boxes to be bigger, and I was a little bit... Uh, nervous about that because it's just there's so much stuff and this time of year especially we don't need more stuff but each kit is about the size of a large shoebox but it was amazing to see all the different things that came out of there and what the kids could do with it so it was really impressive I also love that the stuff that came inside the little beakers and the test tubes all of it is really high quality and it went right into my kind of science bin that I keep for like backyard science experiments. So this stuff has a shelf life beyond just the experiments they're doing that month. Yeah, I agree. Really good quality stuff. And I know one thing that drives me crazy about some um, kits, and I'm putting the kits in the air quotes, you know, um, is when they need a lot of parental supervision. 
because a lot of times you want your kids to use these because you're otherwise occupied or because your kids are older. Mine are all in an age where they feel a lot of personal satisfaction when they can do something by themselves. And also they tend to want to do things with a brother or a cousin or a friend. And it's easy to start feeling like there's just way too many cooks in the kitchen if the directions are so complicated that you need a lot of hands-on adult help. So recently, Clara and her cousin Ruby, Clara's nine, Ruby just turned 11, um, did the pH balance experiment. And Jenna, uh, Ruby's mom, and I were making dinner in the next room. So we were involved in that we were talking to them and they would call out and say, hey, look at this cool part. And we'd come out and watch. But we didn't have to be in there like helping them open the box, helping them set up the materials, helping them follow the directions. They were really able to do that without our direct help. And that was really nice. I totally agree. The instruction cards in particular are clearly designed for kids to be able to follow along themselves. So the age guidelines are around ages like five to 12. And I do have a five-year-old and she had a lot of fun, even though she is on that younger end. And in fact, my kids fought less when they were doing their Spangler Science Club kit than they would have if they'd been doing anything else together. I can tell you that much. So I don't know what that kind of crazy voodoo magic is, but it was a win <laughs> for me. Yeah, I could see this being a great holiday gift for a kid who likes to get into stuff or maybe drives you crazy on snow days. So there are three subscription levels starting at just $14.99, and we've got a deal that will save you $10 on either the STEM Lab or the STEM Deluxe subscription if you sign up for three months or more. Yep, just head to SpanglerScienceClub.com and use the code MOMHOUR to save that $10 when you subscribe to at least three months of either the STEM Lab or the STEM Deluxe kits. So it's S-P-A-N-G-L-E-R ScienceClub.com and that promo code is MOMHOUR. And if you guys want to see more of my kids having fun with the STEM Lab, STEM Lab kits, keep an eye on our Instagram stories this week. All right. Okay, Megan, are you? can you go first with road trips? I have so many questions. Yes, I didn't realize there were so many questions about road trips until I saw your outline, and I agree there. These were all things. PTSD. Yeah, (laughs) so these are the things that we hear from newer moms. If you haven't done it, a road trip or a plane trip, some of these are basic questions, like where do I change a diaper? So we're just going to kind of go quickly, and these are... Again, the questions we've gotten from you guys and yes. we just, we know they come up. So first- But I want to first, before you jump into the question, yeah. I just want to first set up my road trip life when my kids were little, <laughs> because I think this is very relevant information. Um, right before Jacob was born, my first baby, um, my husband and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which is eight hours on a good trip. Like if you don't really stop, more like 10 if you've got, you know, a little one. Yeah. Um, between there and, and our home back in Michigan. Then we moved a lot. We moved to- um, Minneapolis. So we lived there for about a year and a half. That's probably about a 12 hour drive back to our home longer again with kids. Um, we drove out to Buffalo, New York to visit family. And I forgot that John actually had a job that he did out in Virginia. Um, I forgot till this very moment. And I'm going to say that was like a 16 hour drive. And that was when Jacob and Isaac were little, like one and three. So I was constantly, constantly driving for the, probably the first four years of being a mom. And then after that, we just did a lot of like kind of more local trips. So then it became more like four to six hour trips. But I have a lot of experience. I mean, those are legit, legit long drives. Like that just would have made me so nervous. And, you know, we'll get to my experience, but I flew a ton with little tiny babies. I flew with all three when they were little and I I flew a lot. So it's it's kind of fun. Um, So I was going to ask you like what your longest one was, but you just kind of went through them like well, multiple yeah, so the, eight to 12 hour, 16 hour road trip. I would say 16 was the longest of the baby under two, but I would say the most harrowing probably <laughs> was when my brother and I drove to Minneapolis from Lansing, Michigan, when uh, Isaac was five days old. Oh my gosh. So Jacob was not quite two and Isaac was five days old and I didn't even have my husband with me. He was already out there. 
Wow. So I was and you with were my brother, which made everything postpartum, which yeah. made everything like a little more awkward. Yeah. <laughs> like the fact that I'm like leaking milk everywhere. So that was probably, oh. that probably was one of those could have been 12, but took 16 hour drive. Totally. Totally. Okay. Well, my yeah. first question is if you are faced with a long drive, how do you think about breaking them up? Do you, do you look at the map and like, say, we're going to stop here, here and here, or do you kind of have to follow the baby and the kids needs and just drive as long as you can till someone needs to stop? Or is it a little bit of both? Uh, so a, a lot of both, a lot of all of the above. So I'm, uh, this is the part where I put PTSD OMG on <laughs> the outline because I'm just remembering those trips. We did not plan stops. I find that with little kids and babies, um, it's just unrealistic. Yeah. I do think it makes a lot of sense to look at a map and I do wish that people still had that ability. I, I feel like that's like a, like a skill we're losing. Yeah. With I the agree. reliance that we have on GPS and stuff. Um, but back when, you know, I was first starting these, like I would look at a physical map and circle on the map where there might be reasonable rest stops, uh -huh. where there might be reasonable places where you could get off at midnight if you had to and find someplace that's open. Like those things, it's good to know, mm -hmm. but you just don't know. You just don't know when they're going to lose it. You don't know when they're going to fall asleep and like sleep for six hours. You're right. certainly not going to stop if that's happening. Right. Some, and sometimes I don't know if you had this, Sarah, but I had kids who would stop if the car stopped. Yes. So I didn't have to get them out. They would wake up if we stopped the car. Yeah. And I remember things like practically, you know, telling John like, okay, so if you really got to go to the bathroom, we're going to switch. Yeah. And I'm going to start driving again. Yeah. Like immediately, because if the car stops for more than a minute, yeah. the baby's going to wake up. So there's so much just like, suffering and struggling yeah it's like you just it's it's like everyone's all hands on deck <sighs> like being in the trenches like yes. you, you are truly just doing whatever you have to do to survive that trip and I found that that was the most intense when babies were like you don't know two months to like a year uh -huh. like when the, that's when I found like the most crying was happening yeah. as soon as and back in those days you switched you turned the seat around it a year yep mm -hmm. and um that was like magic yeah Yep. Like magically they would feel better and sure. be better. Um, but like, oh, sometimes you just suffer. Well, I, okay. So let's talk about the crying. Cause I have to say, there's a lot of things that are easier. There's some things you have more control over in a car, but the one thing you don't is that they are buckled in the car seat. And I, yeah. I have flown with crying babies for sure, but you're holding your baby. This is way right. different. So I, I remember so much anxiety over even a two or three hour car ride about what if the baby cries and I can't get them out and I just have to watch them cry. It, it caused yeah. undue. So did you have to go through that? Oh, <laughs> I had, I went through hours of that. Oh, and sometimes there's just nothing to do. Like I know. you can stop and get them out and calm them down and soothe them and feed them and put them back in the seat. And they will cry again. Yeah. If, if, if it's a baby it that doesn't length. like it to has, drive. It adds time to your trip if you exactly. do that. Exactly. So there were definitely times we just turned the music up oh. and gritted our teeth. I mean, I feel like, that's terrible like advice because no. it's not helpful. But at least if you're that mom doing that, like that is normal. Yes. <laughs> um, and your I baby's not going to be scarred, right? Right. And I do remember, like I would do all that I could. I would sometimes sit in the back. I would put my hand on their tummy and and um, try to shush them, let them suck my fingers. Yeah. Only one of my kids ever took a pacifier mm -hmm. it was Jacob. And he was actually the best on car rides. Go figure. Um, I did do the thing like the nursing over the car seat thing. Since then, I have found out that's actually technically very dangerous. But honestly, like there were times when you just did what you had to do. Like, right. you know, we're driving. It's like my mom um, was hospitalized when I, well, right, you know, she did end up passing away. But like when uh, Isaac was five weeks old, mm -hmm. I lived in Minnesota. So we made that trip, my brothers and I, 
uh, John sometimes came and sometimes didn't. And Jacob and me and Isaac several times over like a, like a week period, mm-hmm. like a two week period. And I just did what I had to do. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes you got to get there. Everyone's losing their minds. There's a screaming baby. My two older brothers are in the car. Like I, my boobs got very stretchy. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing the way you can contort your body. And that also happened to be Isaac, who was one of my most crying babies. Yeah. Yeah. He was hungry. He was a hungry baby. He would not take a pacifier and he was just mad. Yeah. He was mad a lot. Yeah. So and you, yeah. you lived to tell the tale. I did live to tell the tale. Um, when you do, when you did stop, do you have any tips about like the type of stops that are best? If you, if you have a choice, is it like a rest stop? Is it a diner? I almost feel like sometimes like the 24 hour McDonald's or something have yeah. a little bit of everything. Like there's a bathroom, a food, a changing yeah. table. They also, they always have a changing table. That's yeah. nice. Anything that's like too mom and pop, you just don't know what you're going to get right. when you go in and. I love mom and pop shops, but they were never my choice yeah. for like a mid, like a late night stop because I want predictability, right? Right. Right. I want to know what kind of food I can get. Yeah. I want to know they're going to have probably a clean restroom with a changing table. Um, so I will say I used all of the above depending on like the need and availability. Truck stops can be great because they're big. And if you've yes. got a toddler who just wants to walk around and look at stuff and maybe buy something, yeah. you know, to keep them busy, like a truck stop's great. Um, but we also took advantage of a lot of McDonald's with Playlands because yeah. sometimes you need to let little kids get out yeah. and stretch their feet. And, you know, so sometimes I, I think if I had one piece of advice around that, it would be if you see a place that's pretty good, unless you've got a sleeping baby, yeah. take advantage when you can, yeah. because the worst thing in the world is to skip, to think, oh, I'll just make it a little further down the road. And then there's nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Where everything's closed. Yeah. Um, so uh, another thing I would advise, I know this is so much easier said than done. Like you just want to keep going. You don't want to get out of the car, but it's so often worth it to take the extra half hour to get out of the car yeah. and go in the restaurant, especially if there's a playland or room yeah. for the kids to, you know, bounce around rather than go through that drive through. I feel like the drive through, it's kind of like it doesn't really satisfy anybody. Yeah. Like everyone gets that feel like they get to eat something, but no one's really happy eating in the car. Yeah, it doesn't solve the other problems, which is, you know, the cooped upness and the car smells and there's so much garbage. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so what about uh, diaper changes? Because this is like a logistical thing on road So I usually try to find a place with a a clean, you know, clean changing table. Again, like a a chain restaurant is usually pretty safe. Right. Um, When the weather was good, I would often kind of set up our, the hatchback. We had a station wagon and then an SUV and kind of had like a little changing station back there. That works really well. The height is good. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of keep, if your car has like, a lot of cars have like little storage stuff on the sides of the hatchback. It's a great place to keep a couple extra diapers and wipes and it doesn't get all mixed up with your, um, suitcases and stuff. It depends how much stuff you have in the car, but yeah. we often like purposely carved out a place for that yeah. in and, the back. And then you could just have a little, a little caddy of everything that you need back exactly. there. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of things to keep in the car, so <laughs> we do more road trips now and Brian is notorious for putting stuff. He's a really good packer, but he'll pack it yeah. all in the way back. And then we're yep. like an hour down the road. And I'm like, well, where's the bag with the headphones? And then you have or to the stop tr- and pull, and, yes. And he's like, well, it's packed back there. So yeah. what, what did you want to have access to in the front, in the passenger seat where you were, or if you were sitting in the back with the kids, like what's your yeah. go bag? So I always, so for babies, it was, you know, the obvious, the same stuff that you would take to like, uh, you Anywhere. know, the playground, yeah. like diapers, snacks. Um, I always found a bottle of water or two really could come in handy for stuff like rinsing hands. Uh-huh. Or like things that you didn't even think about. Um, yeah. If your baby's um, bottle fed, it's good to have a bottle of 
of clean, like yeah. sterile water for, or I don't even know, do people use sterile water anymore? Probably not. Clean water for mixing up a bottle, like whatever it is, it's good to have a couple of those on hand. Um, and sometimes I think when, even when like babies who are crying in the car might just be thirsty. I'm yeah. not talking about like a two month old baby yeah. that's exclusively nursed or something, but like, like a six month old baby might just want a swig of water, yeah. you know, you know, so stuff yeah. like that can really be helpful. Extra change of clothes. If you have a baby in diapers or a potty training um, kid, towels or a burp cloth, if you've got yeah. a little one, extra pacifiers, like lots of them. Yes. Extra wipes in case you can't locate the current yep. package or you run out some random crap to hand your toddler to play with. I always had tons of random crap in my yeah. purse when yep. I had toddlers, just what I, like stuff that they, that they would be interested in that weren't, things that weren't toys. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. Cause that's like almost identical when we get to this part on the airplane. So some things <laughs> right. are the same, but I think I phrased it even the same way. Like things yeah. beyond toys. Like yeah. it could be a plastic cup and some pennies or like, my, my kids know. loved credit cards. Yes. And or, I would hand them the ones that like looked like credit cards yeah. that actually weren't credit cards I needed mm-hmm. to use, but like my library card or like something that had like a bar, like they started to even get savvy about, they would know if it didn't have a, um, a strip on the back that it <laughs> was wasn't it a real, real card, but you know, like a lot of gift cards. Yeah. So I would hang on to things like it's a, it's an, it's a wonder. I'm not a hoarder now, but I would hang on to like, um, gift cards that were all used up because I knew that that would be a play yeah. thing that the kids might oh like my or my keys or whatever. That is so um, funny. Yeah, that is funny. And now that they're like, and as they get older and you know, now they're, they're managed their own stuff, but like when they were like two, three, that's when, you know, you, you probably want to have a backpack or something easy for them to get in with their, something they can get into mm-hmm. that's got stuff that they control. So like if they have their own earbuds yep. or if they have their own tablet or their yep. own coloring books or their own snacks, like I find it's totally worth it for each kid to have their yes. own bag. I, I said the exact same thing. It's funny about the airplane. <laughs> use up all your tips. <laughs> well, no, no, it's fun because there are some things that are similar and then there are things that are so different. So yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what about getting car sick? Did any of your kids get car sick? Yeah. Um, you know, when it's hard to know when they're babies. Sometimes I do feel like babies get car sick. Yeah, you, do gonna, too. you don't, you have, you, you don't, don't know. know. They can't tell you. Yeah. They just cry. Um, def- yeah. So sad, but definitely, um, toddlers and little kids, especially when they start reading in the car, looking at screens. So the first thing I always tell my kids to let me know as soon as they start getting sick, um, it's not as much of a thing they've all kind of learned, but mm-hmm. I find that like a lot of kids just don't make that connection. And mm-hmm. then they, they kind of cross over the line yes, into totally yeah. miserable. Um, so I think that keeping their mouths busy with like some tart, like candies or something can be good if the kid's old enough for that. Um, but really I think the biggest thing is to be proactive, remind them to look up and out, mm-hmm. like look up and out the window. And as soon as someone starts to look a little bit of gr- like a little green, take the first opportunity to stop, yeah. get out, get some fresh air. Because once that car sickness like takes a stronghold, it's almost impossible to get rid of it. Yeah. I know I still get so miserable with car sickness sometimes. Yeah. And once it's over that line, there's no getting rid no, of it until I'm out of the car for like an hour. Yeah. So yeah, you want to get in front of it if yeah. you can. And you usually with kids and car sickness, and I have quite a bit of experience with this too, because I have kids who get motion sick. It, it's, you have to learn the hard way <laughs> almost because yeah. it's really hard to know if you have a kid who gets car sick until they do. And then it's so miserable. Audiobooks have helped a lot for that because my kids are so used to having their iPad yes. or whatever yeah. that then they get, it like stresses them out or they get mad if there's not like that was what they were doing for entertainment so we switched to audiobooks um and I also have done Dramamine ahead of time when I know that we're going to be on a windy road or a bumpy Mm -hmm. plane ride it makes Allegra really sleepy she's my motion sickness kid so it's not I mean you don't do it just without thinking it has to be the right time and the right trip but it has really helped so there is um children's dosage so and I have told my kids before like okay guys we're getting off at a like off at an exit everyone look up because that's the moment for me Mm -hmm. that's when the car sickness takes in uh, over, I can look at my phone in the car, no problem. It's when 
suddenly you're weaving in and out of traffic or stopping and starting or going off like curving. So being proactive there. And in addition to audiobooks, even looking up to watch a movie, like the built-in screens that come down can be helpful because I think it reminds everyone to look around them more. Well, it's that that whole equilibrium. Like it's like you get motion sickness when your brain doesn't agree if you're sitting still or or moving. So I think looking up, it like includes that peripheral vision that helps you know that you're moving. Um, Okay. So last question. I know you've told me that like with your older kids, you guys have fun listening to music in the car and kind of taking turns playing DJ. But do you remember what they listened to or you guys listened to when they were really little? And this would have been before tablets. So like what else were they entertained by? Yeah, that was actually a really fun question because it, it kind of had me go back to um like thinking back to what we did listen to so I remember I had this Sesame Street cassette tape so this was in like a really old car of ours that we'd listen to basically on repeat I got it like at a garage sale for a dollar and I just liked it it kind of reminded me of being a kid and for like a year it never occurred to me to turn it off it just played it just on repeat the soundtrack of your life it was the soundtrack of my life and this and on car trips like sometimes we'd we'd eventually turn it off, but like it would always start the car trip. Um, it had like people in my neighborhood. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, Abkadefa Jekyll and Opera Stew. It's I don't know if you remember that one. I don't that remember was, that one. That was when Big Bird thought that the alphabet was a word. Oh, I don't remember that one. So he just pronounced it oh, that's like funny. one big word. Oh, that's cute. so a bunch of like those old school Sesame Street songs. Um, we had a couple of Disney compilation CDs that we actually like to joke about now because they were mostly super corny, like, yeah. um, like high school musicals, you know, my, um, now teenage kids yeah. were like little. Yeah. And, uh, we sometimes will like look them up on Spotify now and listen <laughs> to them and just laugh at how, like how we loved that music. And cause it was kind of like pop music for the kids right, before like they were into pop, pop music. Yeah. 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 Um, so music has always been like, but also I will say like, when they were little, John and I were not afraid to just listen to what we wanted yep. to listen to. And I, I don't remember feeling any particular obligation to let the kids have much of a say in the music. Yeah. Now I will, like when I feel like being, um, when I feel like being generous about it, but you know, now I don't have, I'm the driver. Yeah. And unless there's someone in the passenger side, who's willing to take the job of DJ, often I'm just like, Nope, I'm going to listen to what I want to listen yeah. to. So I'm the driver. The adult is the boss. Um, I do remember very early on kind of creating our own version of a tablet. We had like a really like in the, those days, a small laptop. Uh-huh. I'm remembering it small. It was probably gigantic, but and heavy and heavy, but we would kind of stick it on the console between uh-huh. us. And then we'd either have like a movie that we downloaded or we would play a DVD and I would just hold it. Like I'd yeah. put my arm over it so it wouldn't move. And that was like, you know, like a rudimentary version of yeah. that. Um, kids play with toys. They had books. They had those like maze and activity kits that you can get at the truck stop. Or like Wooly Willy. Remember Wooly Willy? No. Okay. So this is like an old school road trip thing that you can buy at any big truck stop or gas station. Okay. And it's got like, it's a guy's face. He's got like a red nose, I want to say. And he's bald. And then there's, um, it's full of um, iron shavings. Okay. And then you have a magnet pen. And so you can use the oh. magnet to move the iron shavings around and like make Wooly Willy have a beard or a mustache or a head. Or okay, hair. I've definitely seen that type of thing. I don't know if it's yeah. the Wooly Willy branded one, but yeah, yeah those are. Well, really I don't fun. know that there are any other ones. And same and with then- like Magna Doodles and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, oh, what else do we have? Light, uh, light bright. I oh, I like loved light, light bright. bright. Those were always fun for um, nighttime road trips. And then although they have like those little pieces, it's easy to yeah. lose them. But there's a million of them, so who really cares? Yeah. And then what was the other thing? Oh, um. 
the invisible ink or the magic ink uh-huh. books yep. that they have at gas stations. But there's a lot of, sometimes those are really fun. Like they're yep. kind of old school, but they're cheap. Yep. They're a few bucks. So like if the kids go through it fast yep. and they're done, who cares? Yeah. Mad Libs. Yeah. Mad, I was going to say Mad Libs. That's like a favorite with my kids yeah. right now. Yeah. No, there's so much. And, the, and all those things are getting into like the age where they can go a little longer and you know, it's not the like, do I need to whip my boob out on the right. I five right now? So it, it's life is better by that point anyway. Yes. And then also they can have these fun activities. I love it. Now I do want to talk about when my kids were little and I did have a cell phone, but it wasn't a smartphone yet. Okay. And it certainly wasn't a touchscreen phone. Right. So often I would just lock my phone and hand it to my kids to play with and oh. they would play with it by opening and closing yeah. it and pressing the buttons. It would be so boring now because the buttons don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Unless like you're actually doing yeah. something, the buttons don't, they're not buttons anymore. It's just a touchpad. So like, so it's kind of funny to think how different that was yeah. then. And, um, and it, you know, they had little toy cell phones that looked a lot like flip phones. We, we have, things. we still have an Elmo phone that has made it through all three of my kids. So it's 10 <laughs> years old and it's that flip phone style. And I just, I, I, I don't throw it away because it still exists. It still sings Elmo and it's that flip yeah. phone style with the buttons on the inside. So funny. It was fun. All right. <sighs> all right. Well, is that all your questions? That me? is. We've done road okay. trips. All right. We've done road trips, guys. I guess like what I would, my, my final piece of advice would just be this, this will get so much better. Oh, it gets so much better. Yeah. This is one of those things that can cause you so much stress and so much trauma when you're, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not using the word trauma lately. No. Um, when your kids are really little and then one day you will look up and go, wait a second, we've been in the car for five hours and no one has said a word. Yeah. What? Or like you're, you find just, yourself looking forward to yes, getting in the car with yes. like I, I do with my kids, you know, and yeah. I don't I don't charge their iPads for them anymore. Like, I mean, I, I do a little bit of that, but they they pack themselves. It's amazing. Yeah. It gets so be- much better. It's so much better. And there will be a big jump in betterness around between like three and four. Yeah, that was my experience. Mm-hmm. So if you're not there yet, it will happen. Yeah, I promise. Do what you got to do to survive. Yep. Okay. Jumping into questions for Sarah about flying. Yes. This is a big one, Sarah, because I know this is one of those questions where like, you know what you're supposed to do and you know what, what you really probably are going to do. So I'm curious what your answer is going to be. Do you buy seats for, or did you buy seats for a baby under two because they technically fly free under the age of two, but you have to hold them in your lap? Um, I only did once and we had my in-laws actually helped buy a seat and Allegra was 15 months, 16, 15, 16 months. And she was a big, she was big for her age. Yeah. So we thought maybe she'd be more comfortable. They helped us out by financially by helping with the plane ticket. Cause I don't think we would have done it otherwise, but it, what, to be really honest, it was not that much better of an experience. So here's what I will say about that. Uh, because if you buy a seat for the baby, I think it's safest to bring the car seat on the plane. Yes, otherwise, otherwise kind of what's the point. And we did that. She spent the right. whole time kicking the seat in front of her, which stressed me out enormously. Um, and she didn't want to sit in it half the time she wanted to be on our lap anyway. And it was only about a three and a half hour flight. So here's when I would do it. If you were on some kind of international situation yeah. where you thought your baby might sleep for like six hours straight or a red eye, it might be worth it. Um, but it is so awkward lugging that car seat onto the plane and getting it all situated. So the answer is no. In dozens and dozens and dozens of times that I flew with babies under two, I only had a paid seat for one of them once. And I wouldn't have done it again with the flights that I was taking. So it didn't make yeah. sense for me. Um, I'm trying to remember. So first of all, this is one of those things where I know parents get all kinds of guilt for not buying seats for their kids. Have you heard this? Well, a little bit because of safety. It's technically because of safety. safety. Yeah. But what I also found, okay, so if you have a newborn, I mean, 
mean, you're probably going to hold them, right? right. I, I just don't see how you're ever going to get through a flight without taking your baby out of the seat. I just, right. I feel like that's just going to happen. So I can see for turbulence and like for takeoff and landing, or if there was turbulence, it would be good to have that as an option. Yeah. Um, If you can afford it. But I just feel like it's one of those things where like, we're talking relative risk here. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and, I don't know. Some people might really disagree, but well, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, we'd welcome your disagreement if things have evolved. Cause remember I like last week's episode is so perfect. We interviewed right. my mom who talked about kids sliding around in the backseat of a car. Right. And maybe this is one of those things where the norms are changing. And so you guys are all going to think I was a horrible person for not buying seats for my babies, but this is 10 years ago. So yeah, anyway. but like we've been on airplanes a lot and I don't see no, a lot I don't of babies see, in yeah, their I don't own either. seats. Yeah. And, I will say with Clara, the only time I flew with her under the age of two, I think she did have her own seat, but I think it was because there just happened to be a seat open. Yeah. Well, and if you fly Southwest, that's the other thing is like we flew Southwest, not all the time, but a lot because we flew out of Phoenix during those years and it's a hub. Um, And so you can do the thing where you get family boarding and then we'd always go to the very last row and it was stinky and it was by the bathroom, but we would often get the whole row. And who's going to come if it was me, Brian and a toddler, who's going to want that middle seat, right? (laughs) Right. Like no one wants that unless it is absolutely full. So there were definitely times where we were able to score a seat, but I was talking about like, do you pay for it and bring the car seat? no right yeah yeah Yeah. and in in her case I think I tried maybe we did I don't know I think maybe this was a gift from the mother-in-law um we may have tried to bring her booster on they wouldn't let us because it wasn't a it wasn't like an FAA yeah uh certified car seat right right and it actually wasn't even her car seat it was like the boys booster we thought she might like it to set up higher um, and we did not bring it on, but it was nice to be able to kind of strap her in her, but she was older she was like almost two yeah so yeah this is one of those your miles may vary thing but yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get you. Um, so do you then check the car seat? Okay. Yes. So this is, we always, this is how we always did it. If it was an infant um, seat where it had the base, you can mm-hmm. just attach them together. So take the infant base out of your car, click the bucket seat in and put the entire thing in a plastic bag. Now airlines used to have plastic bags for this. And then like, I don't know, seven years ago, like budget cuts, they don't anymore. Um, we have a couple of Eddie Bauer, like hand me down Eddie Bauer car seat travel bags, and they have lasted us so long. We still throw boosters in them when we travel. So if you can get yourself, if you're going to be flying a lot, get yourself one. But if you can't just put it in a garbage bag and, and lock them together and tighten up all the straps. So nothing is flopping around and kind of like tie it up with a, piece of duct tape or tie the garbage bag up and you can check that without paying it is you don't pay for it like a luggage so there's no harm okay. in checking it and then at the other side you know you just get it when you get your luggage it usually comes out right with the regular luggage but some airports it's often like special luggage with golf clubs and stuff yeah um, so we always traveled with our car seat now if you're running a car you can rent a car seat the times I have done that were like older kids where they were like three yeah and I didn't really care like what kind it was I didn't I never did that with an infant depending on where you're flying like if it's somewhere you go a lot maybe it's worth having them buy an extra base for the infant that the infant seat clicks into um, and then you could just travel with the actual infant seat and you don't need the base so and, yeah. and a lot of the ones now you can also do like a seatbelt method where they don't need to click into the base. But I guess what I, what moms always ask me is number one, do you pay for it? And number two, like at what point do you check it? Do you take it back to the gate? And unless it's part of your stroller system, cause we'll get into that in a second, you check it right when you check your suitcase and, and you should bring your own plastic bag. Okay. What Good I have to, to say about that. This one blew my mind the first time I flew with kids, which was when I already had five of them and most of them were older. I'll let you answer it. Do babies need ID or kids? Uh-huh. Or proof that they're your kid or proof of age? And the answer is? Well, 
What do you think the answer is? No, they don't need anything. No, they don't. <laughs> it's they, so weird. Yeah, they, they don't. <laughs> However, there's a couple times that I have wanted to have that. And w- okay. one of them is as the toddlers were getting close to two. Um, because certain airlines and certain airports are, they will look at you if they think you have a lap child who's older than two. So if you have a kid who looks like they should have a paid seat and you're trying oh, to I see. sneak okay. them in. So I got in the habit of making photocopies of birth certificates just to have. Um, and, but no, they don't, it's not required, but it's not a bad idea to either check with your airline I guess like the way I think I would never want to show up to an airline counter and then be like, could I have the child's birth certificate? I think maybe, maybe I got asked that once out of all of the times. So don't stress about it. Like if you, if you lost their birth certificate and you'd have to go to social security to get it, like don't go through all that. You're going to be fine, but it's not a bad idea to like check what the requirements are for your airport or your airline. So, so, and I wasn't even thinking of to prove they're under two. I was more yeah. thinking of like when you go through security. I, yeah. And I don't know why that amazed me so much, but because it's so, the security is so intense for everybody yeah. else. And for kids are just like, Hey, who are you? Yeah. Okay, they ask, someone, they, do, they do ask their name and it's kind of <laughs> yeah. cute. Like if they're like four or something, they'll be like, all right, which one to use Violet? And she's right. like this little tiny thing. So they will right. ask like which one's which, but that's about it. Yeah. They don't I just, that, that's one of those things that's just, just always blows my mind when yep. I travel. Like you, you could be anybody, really, but that's okay. Yeah. Um. Probably still a good idea to carry your birth certificate if you have it, but I don't always have. Right. Exactly. My, I can't always put my hands on it. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned strollers. Yeah. How do you handle the whole stroller situation? Okay. So I'm a big fan of taking your stroller on air air travel, even if you don't think you'll need it very much where you're going, because I find they're really helpful in the airport. They're, it's a great place to stash all your extra stuff once you're through security. Um, so I take my stroller all the way through security to the gate and you gate check it and they just, they put a little tag on it. So right when you get, okay, so you check your bags. If you're checking bags, you go through security, your stroller folds up. And if it doesn't slide through, if it's too big to slide through, they'll find another way to scan it. You can put your baby or your kid in it the whole time you're in the airport. Mm. There's all that time leading up to boarding. And it's a lot. Yeah. You're schlepping around. And if you if your baby wants to be held or you're wearing them, then you can at least put your carry-ons in it. So it's like it's like your own personal luggage cart, basically. Um, and then it's really easy to gate check. You go right up to the gate and you ask them for a gate check tag right when you get to the gate area. And that way it doesn't slow down your boarding process. And they give you a little tag and you walk it all the way down the ramp. So you can have your stroller with you all the way until you get on the plane and then fold it up and they will gate check it and then have it for you. So I'm, there's very, very few times I didn't bring a stroller because it almost always just helped me with the amount of schlepping in and around the airport. Um, And then, you know, if we happen to be out and about where we were, wherever we were going, then that was nice to have a stroller too. But honestly, there were a few times I brought it and barely used it, barely unfolded it where we were, but it was really helpful in the airport. So I'm a What about baby wearing? Did you ever? Yeah. And baby wearing was helpful, the Ergo or the Moby, and you can wear a baby through security. Now that might've changed, but as recently as like 2014, you can walk right through security um, checkpoints wearing your baby, but you cannot wear your baby on takeoff and landing. Interestingly, they will make yeah. you take a baby out of like even the newborns out of a sling or a Moby wrap. Um, if you happen to be seated and they're still nestled in there, you have to take them out on takeoff and landing. That is a, a rule, but you can wear okay. them right through security. So I, in a lot of cases, I had a baby on my back or on my front and the stroller, and maybe I had a preschooler in the stroller, or maybe the stroller was just my, just like for all the stuff. So yeah, yeah. both. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if last time I flew with Clara um, and for older kids, if they allowed me to walk through like 
the metal detector with her. I don't I think like so. That, I no. think they make you, they make everybody go separately. Starting it when they can walk? I mean, like, when uh, did that start? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe when they're like two, three. Because I just feel yeah. like when she was really little, they would just kind of like let me walk or like carry yeah, her through. Yeah, probably as, yeah. as a toddler. Yes, I would yes. think so. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking huh. of like little kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, but I haven't, she hasn't had to go through the, um, the thing where you put your hands up. Right. No, I don't think they do that with any kids. None of my kids have no. yet either. Which means I don't have to when I fly with her either. Oh, yeah. We both get rerouted. Yeah. Um, okay. So what do you bring on the plane? Okay, so I'm going to be quick here because I think this was where it was a lot of the same as bringing what you have access to in the car. The one thing I always tell moms is you will get spit up on or diaper leaked on way more on an airplane than anywhere else. I think it has to do with the gas and also just cosmic karmic luck. So everyone always packs an extra outfit for baby, but if it's possible to have a layer for yourself or an extra tank top or t-shirt, your clothes may get soiled in flight, Mm. just telling you. So when you pack extra clothes for everyone, one. Um, like, like you said, more of anything that goes in their mouth. So more pacifiers, more bottles, um, wipes for sterilizing everything that falls on the yes. disgusting floor. Um, small plastic bags like Ziplocs or the, like, you know, the really thin trash can liners for the t- smallest trash cans, those really mm-hmm. thin white ones. Those are great for diapers and bags and even like messy snacks that you're going to throw away, but there's not always a trash can handy. Um, so small plastic bags. And then, like you said, all the stuff to pull out of your purse, all the snacks, all of that is kind of the same as a car trip. Did you have babies who got bad ear? Did they deal with ear pressure and stuff? No, but I was obsessed with this idea of nursing during takeoff and landing because I had heard that was the way to prevent it. And I remember having like a sleeping baby and trying to, and the first time I flew with my first baby, she was five weeks old and it was a cross-country flight. And um, I remember trying to wake her up so she would nurse. just chuckling because I would never do that. No, of course. (laughs) So Sarah. I know. It's so (laughs) weird because I thought I had to, and like, okay, the dumb thing is that helps if they are actually in ear pain. Yes. (laughs) Not like you don't have to do it preventively. My babies actually were okay. And one time a a very nice flight attendant, I was chatting with her about this one time and she said, you know, it's often the older babies and like the one-year-olds and the toddlers who really are bothered by the ear pain or if they have an ear infection already, which so many little kids do. She said, I think that the little tiny ones don't have as much trouble as you think. And maybe it's because their little bodies constantly adjusting, (laughs) you know, like they're always probably kind of adjusting to some atmospheric thing or another. So no, it was always something that I thought I heard was going to be so awful and it never was. So I, I'm just thinking like when I'm on a plane and it's just anecdotally, obviously, but I'm way more likely to hear big babies crying Uh and, and crying like piteously, like unconsolably, um, than I am to hear newborns crying. So we've talked a lot about, we've talked a lot about little babies. Mm -hmm. What about older babies and toddlers? Like how do you keep them happy and keep them from kicking the seat? Well, okay. Let me just say that this is my age range that I think is the worst ever. And that is from the time they are mobile. So I put nine months because a lot of babies crawl or start to cruise around then to about two and a half is the worst ever. So flying with newborns is actually easy other than that it's stressful, but nine months to two and a half is really hard. And it's, it's all the things you mentioned from the car, Megan, um, the having little activities for them to do. I said the exact same thing that once they're about two and a half or three, having them carry their own little backpack with their own mm-hmm. snacks and activities. Um, also at this age, 
Don't forget that the whole airport journey is like made up in little sections. We tend to focus on the flight, but the airport part is really hard for little kids. There's so much standing in line and waiting. So I think yeah. as kids get older, you can kind of teach them that. And like, I remember teaching my kids like, no, you can't do iPad when we're in the security line. Like, it right. So you have to kind of break it up and be like, okay, after we check in, you can yeah. have a gummy bear. After we get through security, we'll pick out, you know, a treat from the gift shop. After we, after we board the plane, you can get your iPad out or Maybe they just get an M&M or a gummy bear like at each, like make it a little like levels like of working yeah. through because that that is uh, honestly the hardest part of traveling with little kids is not the flight usually. It's usually the airport. Yeah. Um, so I think that's helpful to kind of teach them how that works and help them work through it because it's not just the flight itself. Um, Did your kids get kind of like inordinately excited about the snacks that they hand out on the air on the airplane? Yeah, I think they did. But now they're kind of they're such seasoned flyers. Now they're, they're kind of over picky. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they don't, no, I think my kids just thought it was so novel that someone was just going to hand them snacks yeah. for free. Like they just I remember Owen in particular. He was about three when we yeah. first flew and he was just like, wait, they're just going to. Yeah. Just gonna oh, and the drinks, snack. the drinks too, because they get very excited about like juice or even a Sprite. Like, yeah, that's the, but that's, here's another tip. Don't, when the flight attendants are filling it up, first of all, no ice. If these are like for yes. your four and five-year-olds, no ice because the ice just stays in the cup and spills everywhere and have them fill it halfway. I don't know why yeah. flight attendants, why they don't just do that? Because it's to me, like any kid who's getting a glass of apple, apple juice, it should be no ice and fill it halfway. It's going to spill. Right. But anyway, you're not doing that for your one-year-old anyway, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay. So then like, what about motion sickness or air sickness, I guess? Yeah. Would be in the air. I mean, or like, do you have baby, you know, what do you do when baby's uncomfortable? Yeah. I mean, I think um, I was surprised at how many of my babies were extra gassy or had like a big poop blowout. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't attribute that necessarily. Just like you said with the car, was it motion sickness? Was it stress? Like who right. knows? Um, but kind of be prepared for like, you know, uh, uncomfortable bellies. And then I do have older kids who get um, sick on landing. So, I mean, have your... I, have the air sick bag ready with toddlers and older kids and teach them how to puke in a bag as young as you can because they get good at it and then it's fine. But yeah. I have I have cleaned up outrageous puke spills on airplanes. Like I can't even tell you the amount of airplane <laughs> oh. puke I have dealt with. Like really oh. every flight for like almost every flight. So, okay. So, so puke is one thing. At least they have bags for that, I guess, if your kid can if actually make get it in into the, the bag. bag. Yeah. But what about like a blowout diaper? Yeah. Okay. So we have to address diapers. I can barely use the bathroom just to pee in okay. on an airplane. So th there's different possibilities. There are a few planes that have this weird changing table that folds down over the top of the toilet, but you can't ever predict which ones will have it. So it's almost not useful. Um, depending on the, the amount of mess, the amount of space around me, who was sitting around me and the age of the baby, I have changed several diapers right in the row with me, either on my like lap, on someone's lap or on yeah. my lap or on the seat next to me. But it really depends. Again, if I was sitting next to someone and the baby was like two, I probably right. wouldn't if do it was that. like a stinky human yeah. adult poop. But like, if I no. thought I could do it really discreetly, really quickly, um, yeah. I've definitely done that. Um, I've also not changed a diaper. I have also yeah. just kind of like wrapped a blanket around whatever's happening and just waited till we got there yeah. um, and been covered in poop when I got off the plane. I mean, I have literally done it all, but um, that is a good place to say that always have the most clean diaper you can the second you get on the plane. So go change the diaper no matter what, right before you get on. Oh, this is stressing me out because, okay, <laughs> something I didn't address talking about road trips, but this is a, this is something that is, is relevant to both is like, how does mom go pee? 
Okay, so if you're by yourself, this is very stressful. I remember one time being like, I need a cup of coffee so bad, but I can't have a cup of coffee because then I'm going to have to pee. And I had two little kids with me. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, you got to plan your own pee breaks. I mean, I have left like a two and a four-year-old on their iPads in the row yeah. and gone to the airplane bathroom by myself. But not I wouldn't do that with like a nine-month-old. You got to bring them. Right. And you got to have them sit on your lap. Your lap. Or, yeah. yeah. But, you know, most of the time, 80, 90% of my plane trips, I had my husband or one of my parents with me. I, I haven't yeah. done, I have done it by myself, but those were fewer and farther between. So yeah. just plan your pee trips. <laughs> I remember being on a, on a trip to, gosh, like a really long road trip with the boys. It was before Clara and they were all small, like small enough that I didn't want to leave them in yeah. the car. And just getting to a rest stop and just not knowing what to do. They yeah. were too big to take into the bathroom yeah. with me. And I think I just had, I can't remember if I had them all stand outside the bathroom door and wait for me. Yeah. Or if I like left them in the car to, you know, yeah. against what I should do. But like, sometimes you just have to make a choice. And totally. Yeah. I think Jacob would have been at, like, he would have been like seven or eight. So yeah. it wasn't terrible, but it yeah. was definitely not yeah. ideal. And you just did what you got to do. do. I also remember making do. all of my boys pee out, pee out of the car, <laughs> like stand on the side of the road. Like we yeah. pulled off cause I couldn't find a rest stop. And we just like pulled off at an exit and lined them up. And I lined them up and made them pee in a ditch. It's so funny. And then got them back in the car and we went. Cause off. I was like, what are we going to do? Off I don't have win. any options here. I love it. Yeah. So, oh okay. God. So, <laughs> So is there anything I missed? Like, I feel like we just did like a super fast. I know it was a lightning download. round. No, let's, uh, let's take our sponsor break and then we'll, we'll try to wrap this all up after the break. Okay. All right. So, um, what you may have learned from all this is that you need to bring a <laughs> nanny. <laughs> you go on a road trip or a plane trip. But yes, our sponsor, Care.com, is very relevant to today's topic. Um, Care.com is the world's largest digital marketplace for finding and managing family care. You can find care for everybody in the family. So besides like road trip, I don't know, what would you call them? Like a road trip overseer? Like a concierge? Uh, or yeah, like a concierge. <laughs> you can find a sitter or a nanny, a housekeeper, dog walker, senior care, tutors, errand runners, and more. And I've personally used care.com a few times for both nannies and occasional sitters. I live in a small town, but I've been very impressed by how many caregivers I've been able to find just by typing in my zip code. And they've got full-time nannies and babysitters part-time, like really anything you need, any number of hours. Um, you can also find, book, and pay for the care, plus pay for the nanny taxes all in one place with care.com home pay. Um, and they have a variety of background check options you can purchase to help you make those hiring decisions. So you can actually join for free as a basic member, and that's going to allow you to search for great local caregivers. Then once you've found, you know, kind of zeroed in on some people you'd like to reach out to, you're going to want to upgrade to premium. Then you can reach out to those caregivers. You can schedule interviews and you can even book and pay for that care online or through the app if you want. And we can help you save 30% off that care.com premium membership. Just visit care.com slash mom hour when you subscribe. Again, you're going to get 30% off that care.com premium membership if you go to care.com slash mom hour. Love it. Well, we are also welcoming back BarkBox as a sponsor today. BarkBox is a subscription service for your pooch, for your pup. Every month they send you the best all-natural treats, chews, and innovative toys to match your dog's unique needs. So you put in the size of your dog and any special needs, and they ship directly to your door. It's a $40 value, but it starts at just $20 a month. We have Xander in my family, as you guys know. And it's really cute because he is more of a toy dog than other dogs I've ever had. Like he genuinely gets excited about toys and he has his own toy box and he pulls out his favorites. It's really cute. So they're really clever toys. They're always around a different theme each month. So it's almost as fun for 
the humans um, to unbox these bark boxes as it is for the dogs. The treats are also made in the U.S. and Canada without corn, soy, or wheat, so you know you're getting really high-quality products. And it's 100% happiness guaranteed. If your dog doesn't love something, they'll replace it totally free, no questions asked, which is awesome. So we have a deal. If you guys would like to get a free extra month of BarkBox, visit BarkBox.com slash hour when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan. Again, it's BarkBox.com slash the mom hour, and that'll get you a free extra month when you subscribe for either six or 12 months. Moxie always has a little extra wag in her tail. I know. It's really cute to make your dog happy that way. It's fun to spoil them. It is fun. Okay, here we are. We got through like a whole lot real fast. Can I tell you how much this topic stressed me out? It's really stressful. Like I'm honestly having like an anxiety attack. I don't just listen to you talk about babies pooping and puking all over you in a plane and then me thinking back to them crying in the car. I'm like, the car crying. It's funny because the airplane stuff, I've done it. And it, while it's not fun, it's like, it's a known quantity. Yes. And I, when I think about a baby crying in the car and not being able to stop, I, that's what gives me like a physical anxiety. So, oh my gosh. Well, I do think we got, we got through some actual practical tips. So hopefully we helped out some, some folks out there. Um, So we're back. And before we get to Allison's segment, we just have like a little bit of housekeeping and a little more time to chat. But um, I think it's worth mentioning that we are doing these holiday bonus episodes every Friday because it's been busy since Thanksgiving and we mentioned it. But um, yeah, let's just sort of remind everybody about that. We did a Black Friday episode where we went through our kids' gift lists and you doesn't have to listen on Black Friday. If you're still looking for gift ideas, that was a really fun one. That was really fun. And then what did we do last week, Megan? I'm already forgetting. Oh, we talked about... um Setting a holiday intention. So like, like creating the holiday you want for yourself yeah. and your family. Yeah, we set a few little intentions for ourselves for yeah. December. Um, and then this Friday coming up is going to be a really good one. Yeah, we're talking about um, doing the holidays as a divorced or blended or separated family. So all you single moms, divorced moms and remarried moms really want to pay attention to that one. I'll talk about my experience. We've got some other people that are sharing their experiences. So that should be a really good yeah, one. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. And then the following Friday, so that's later this week. And then Friday of next week, we'll have our holiday listener questions episode. And we always do one or two of those every year. So that's where you guys have sent in your various challenges and quandaries. And there's still time. So if you wanted to send us a holiday related um, listener question, we love it when you record your voice. So you just record your voice on your phone. If you know how to do that and email it to hello at the momhour.com. Or if you go to the momhour.com, there's a little um, thing called speak pipe in our sidebar and you can use that um, service to just record your question and it won't send until you're ready. So you don't have to feel shy. Like it's not going to send us yeah. your mess ups. So um, that'll be a fun one. We'll do that um, a week from Friday. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun to have um, a chance to do some extra holiday content. Agreed. Agreed. And they're all good topics. Yeah. Um, and then also our Patreon Facebook group is really oh, growing so great. and it's it really so is. much fun. So it's very active and people are so supportive. It's kind of like an extension of the show. Can I tell so. you that I was a little worried about having a Facebook group, to be honest, because I, I don't, I you should, don't have to tell me. I mean, I know I, I shouldn't have worried because we know you guys are so great. But Facebook groups can get a little out of hand with the types of comments and the types of topics that come up. And both you and I were hesitant about, you know, being the moderators and the leaders of a group like that. But this one is like, there are people, they're just, they're the nicest moms, the most non-judgmental people do post questions and give advice, but in the most 
just hands-off kind of supportive way. So it's been really great. And so if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a way to support our show for a couple bucks a month if you want in at the basic level. Um, And then once you are part of our Patreon community, you you, um, can have access if you want to that Facebook group. Um, And then there's different perks at the different levels. So we'll link that up in the show show notes or it's just patreon.com slash the mom hour. And we'd love to see some of you in that group as well. Yeah, I think you'll like it. All right. Before we get to Allison, just a reminder about Spangler Science Club, our sponsor. Um, Great gift idea for kids who love science and hands-on activities. And the URL for that is SpanglerScienceClub.com and use the promo code THEMOMHOUR to save 10 bucks. So we thank them for being our sponsor. Um, And you guys get to stick around and hear me chat with Allison. Yay. Hey, Allison. Welcome back to the Mom Hour. Thank you. I missed chatting with you. I know it's been quite a while and our listeners have been loving your updates, but this one is a little different because we recorded everything before you actually had baby Brooke. Um, So I'm going to mostly shut up for this segment and um, I would just (laughs) love to hear an update, but why don't we start with, um, we are recording this at the end of November and it will actually air in, you know, just about a week and a half. So Um, As of right now, how old is baby Brooke and when was she born? Uh, So she is two months old now. She was born September 16th. So she, I think I was like 39 weeks in one day or something. So I still didn't have to go to the full 40. Nice. And when (laughs) we recorded one of those last um, segments was just a few days before that. So we recorded, um, you know, if listeners haven't heard, we did a segment on birth, one on postpartum, um, one on pregnancy, and they were all kind of in anticipation of Allison adding this new baby and having two under two. Um, So now that has... And no longer. And no longer. Now you have a two-year-old. So lots has happened happened. Um, Why don't we start, if you don't mind telling a little bit of the labor and delivery story? Yeah. So this was, I think we talked about my labor with Claire uh, several episodes ago. Um, This was night and day different. I can't even begin to explain. So number one, I went, I was 37 weeks when I had Claire and I was 39 with, with Brooke. Um, So I, those last two weeks (laughs) were, were incredibly hard. So women that go to like 41 weeks. I do not know how you do it. Um, but similar story to with Claire, my water broke first, um, went into the hospital with no labor pains, feeling great. Um, I, it ended up being pretty funny though. So my water kind of trickle broke and then we got to the hospital, um, and nothing had really started. So I was like, you know what, let's take the stairs, let's try to get things moving along, get this exercise going. Um, and my water did the movie theater oh. or the, like the movie gush yeah. in the middle of the staircase between floors. <laughs> At least no and one can so, say you're faking it or you're exaggerating. I know. And it, it was just, you could hear it. It was awful. Um, and so we finally get up into the floor, onto our floor and we walk over to the nurse's station. Me and my husband are just cracking up because all you can hear is my shoes going squish, oh, squish. my gosh. As we out to the nurse's station. So we walk up to them. We're both just you know, completely folded over laughing and they have no idea what's going on. Um, but they immediately catch on to the sound and how funny it is. So they took me to the furthest room they could to make me walk further because they found it so funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so all non-dramatic up until then. So already very different than Claire. Um, and I let them know that I was interested in an ep- epidural. I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but I knew I wanted one. Yep. 
Um, and so I ended up uh, getting one nice and early. I, they, they let me do some walking around the hospital just to try to um, bring on the labor, bring on contractions. That worked really well. So I had a relatively early epidural and then she arrived within, I think, four hours. Wow. So, and it was I, so completely different. Uh, we were in a nice small room. It was just the, the doctor and the nurse in there with us. Um, everything was calm. I felt like I was in a bit of a yoga studio compared to the large NICU room that I had when I had Claire. Um, it was I know this is a weird thing to say about labor, but it was great. <laughs> that That's really awesome. Um, it sounds like it was kind of perfect. You know, I think that's okay to like come out and say that because we hear a lot about birth stories that didn't go as planned and that's okay too. But um, I think it's great for moms to hear of all, all kinds, especially if you maybe did have a traumatic first birth, um, easing yeah. some of that anxiety that, you know, that things can turn around. That is, But like you said, I, I think not having expectations helps too. Yeah. So I... I knew what it was like to have Claire, but I had no idea what it was like to have Brooke. So I went in with zero expectations for what this birth would look like. And so there was nothing for the, for this birth not to meet. Right. Yeah. If if she was born, then she was born. And that was fabulous. Isn't it funny how we get better at having fewer expectations the farther along? You would think it would be the opposite, but I think we get better at not having so many expectations the farther along we get in motherhood. Um, Realize our total lack of control. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So tell us um, how big was she and how did you come to her name? Because we did a whole little segment on your naming choice. So how did that all come to be? Did you look at her and know it was Brooke right away? That's a great question. So she she was born, um, she was actually 21 inches long and seven pounds. So she was in the 98th percentile for height. Um, And me and my husband are both nice and short and neither of us are going to be playing in the NBA anytime soon. So we were shocked that she was so tall. Uh Um, And so when she came out, we had narrowed it down to two names and we both, we really liked them both. We weren't sure which direction we wanted to go. Um, And we didn't name her until the next day. So she was born around 9 p.m., and, um, you know, we sent out the, she's here, she's arrived and everybody was like, okay, great. What's her name? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we, we waited on it. We sort of called her by both names and, and saw how they felt. Um, and ultimately she was just broke to us. That's so real, she's, she's really broke cool. Robin. I mm-hmm. love it. I love that so much. Um, okay. And then I want to talk about, I'm probably skipping chronologically a little bit, but I do want to talk about Claire's adjusting. This is something that all of our listeners having baby number two kind of obsess over, and I did as well. So talk about, um, maybe you can talk about like the very first kind of moments. I think people worry a lot about that. Like, did she come into the hospital? How did you introduce? But then also maybe expand on how things have been going um, with Claire's adjustment to being a big sister. And remind everybody how old Claire was when Brooke was born. Yeah. So I totally obsessed about this in advance as well. So she was 22 months okay. when, uh, when Brooke was born. So she turned two here in November. Um, I, I think I over obsessed. I will say that. I think it's, it's one of those things where it's, they will respond how they respond and you can prepare as much as you want. Yeah. Um, so what we did is we had, um, my husband pick up Claire from school and bring her into the hospital. Um, to meet Brooke. And, and we had a gift for Brooke to give to Claire. Claire had a gift to give to, um, to Brooke. And we made sure that when she entered the room, I wasn't holding Brooke. Okay. So she came in, 
She saw me. She was a little bit excited about everything happening in the hotel room. Oh, in the hotel room. <laughs> in the <laughs> Felt like a hotel room. Felt like a hotel. Um, and then she came up on the bed with me and we just sort of chatted for a little bit. And then um, my father-in-law brought Brooke over to us. Um, at first, you know, she was excited. And then when they handed Brooke to me, that's when she got a little bit unsteady and uh-huh. uneasy, I'd say. Um, but, you know, she, she slowly adjusted. She realized that, you know, I was still able to hold her, still able to, to give her hugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got really excited. She had, uh, pre- she and my husband had practiced saying her name on the mm-hmm. way over to the hospital. So she was able to, um, to articulate who this was and, um, you know, had, that she was part of our family, that she was our little sister. So she kept on saying sister Brooke, sister Brooke. So cute. Um, and so she, the first meeting went as well as we could expect. Um, since then, there's been a large adjustment period. Yeah. <laughs> so when uh, what we did is that we made sure that when we first brought Brooke home, Claire was already here and mm-hmm. sort of coming home to find the baby uh, sure. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that worked out really well. So she was able to show her into different rooms, mm-hmm. um, show her where her room was. Um, and we sort of had her give her own tour of her house. Um she is mostly very interested, very excited about the baby. She ha- we bought her um, some changing stations and feeding stations for her dolls, and mm-hmm. so she'll do that when we're um, doing things with Brooke. When she struggles is when I'm nursing. So mm-hmm. of course, when it's the hardest yeah. to be able to navigate two children is when she struggles the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had the extra help at home, so I'm I'm really fortunate that my husband was given uh, ten weeks maternity That's so leave. Cool. So this is actually his first week back. Okay. Um, so he was able to, to help us navigate that. Um, she's gotten better over time. Um, there's still moments when I say if Brooke's hungry or Brooke needs something that immediately it's mommy, mommy, hug, mommy, mm-hmm. hug. Um, but she's getting better and, you know, she's starting to understand that she can still hug me and sit next to me if I'm nursing or I can give her I can talk to her and other ways interact with her and she's getting a little bit cooler with it. But I think expecting perfection is probably what I was doing and and that wasn't going to happen. Or thinking that you could sort of circumvent behavior. So I I do, I I said I was going to let you talk for most of this, but this is something we get asked about so much and I do have some strong thoughts. So I'm going to offer a couple of thoughts on this. Yeah. And we've talked about them in past episodes, but number one, when you're, when the older sibling is anywhere from like, 15 months to three and a half, which most, a lot, you know, that's a pretty common age range to add a second baby. There's so much developmentally appropriate behavior that has nothing to do with adding a sibling that mm-hmm. we kind of attribute to sibling rivalry or jealousy. And, and, you know, that might be a piece of it, but like two-year-olds going to be two-year-olds. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So I think I just remind parents that that whenever you add the new baby, your toddler is already going to be going through their developmentally appropriate bananas behavior, tantrums, yes. defiance, um, jealousy, preferring one parent over another, refusing to go to school. All those things are normal with or without a new baby. Now, it doesn't mean that the new baby isn't, like I said, a piece of the puzzle, but I think sometimes we attribute, we blame the new baby for all of this behavior that the kid would be doing anyway. So that's that's one thing. And you've heard me talk about, like, I think 18 to 24 months is a particularly crazy time. <laughs> um, so like so much of that is, is what they would be doing normally. So that's number one. Number two is I think often the um, retaliation behavior or the acting out behavior 
pops up in places that you don't expect. So you everybody expects that, oh, the toddler is going to, I don't know, try and hit the baby or say they wish the baby would go away. These kind of classic um, direct aggression toward the new baby. My kids all, it all came out in totally different ways. Potty training regression, sleep regression, um, clinginess, uh, who knows, like all kinds of things that that didn't mm-hmm. directly have to do with the baby. So I just say that so that people know that's also normal. And an addendum to that is that can go on for six months to a year, to be honest, like that type of adjustment or, or things popping up um, that, you know, maybe, may be related to the transition that the family's going to going through, but it doesn't all happen in the first two weeks and it doesn't all happen the way that you think that it will. Yeah. So. And one just quick thing to add, yeah. that I think it's that you're going through a transition as well. Mm-hmm. So you're noticing the, you're responding to your child in a different way. So, you know, they could be going through something totally normal, but your ability to deal with it might be a little bit different. Right. Um, And so understanding that it's not all, um, you know, correlated to this new baby. It's not even all your, your two-year-old or your, your one and a half year old. It's sometimes you and then your ability to respond. Yes, totally. And just like everything else we talk about, it's not necessarily something to fix. It might be something to weather. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm like, my inclination is always to like squash behavior, but that's not, sometimes it's just like something to get through and it's not something to worry about or even try to change. It's just like, this is what we're in right now. This is our life. (laughs) Um, I'm going to offer one final tip that a listener reminded Megan and me of when we answered a question on this. And that is, especially for young toddlers, it's a really, it's great to um, say out loud. If the baby's fussing and you're with Claire, for example, if you're you're fixing Claire's lunch Mm -hmm. and the baby's lightly fussing, you can say, just a minute, Brooke, mommy's spending time with Claire right now. Even though Brooke does not understand that at all. It's not for Brooke's benefit. It's so that Claire can hear you say, because they hear so much, just a minute, Claire, I'm nursing the baby, just a minute. Yeah. You know, and so to have the toddler hear you say, just a minute, baby, it's not your turn right now. I'm with the toddler. Um, I loved that tip. It's really specific and it's something that sounds kind of silly, but I think it's a great thing for all kids to hear um, because it is true. You have two kids yeah. now. You, some, somebody's going to have to wait while you're with the other one and that's not going to ever go away. <laughs> to be honest. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but I think it's great for the, for the toddler to hear like, oh, it is my turn now. Mom just told the baby she had to wait. I love that. I think I'm going to try to implement that one. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's clever. And I, I think a listener reminded me of that, but I, when she did, I think I, I think I kind of did that without knowing. Um, so anyway, all right. Well, that was kind of a long little detour, but it's something that I think so many listeners wonder about is that, you know, adding, adding a second baby. So let's talk about baby Brooke. Um, how now she's two months, two plus, two and a half, two two and a half almost. Yeah. So have you, that's crazy. If you kind of enjoyed the milestones this second time around and she's doing well, just kind of update us. Yeah. Them. I, I always thought that, it, you know, the milestones wouldn't feel as important with the second one because you're like, I know I've seen a baby do that right. before, but they're still so magical, I almost especially think, the smiles. I think they're more almost, to be really honest, mm-hmm. because you appreciate like how far they've come and like how it's magical. I totally agree. It is. And seeing her respond to Claire is really special. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Claire will come up and she'll smile at Claire and it makes me realize they're going to have a relationship all their own, which yeah. is really, really cool. It's very cool. Um, and so you are, you, do you have a six month leave? Is that what we talked about? I do. I have six months and my husband had uh, just over two, which That's was wonderful. Very cool. So you're just a couple of months in and how's maternity leave life treating you? Is it what you thought it would be this time around? 
Um, it's been a bit challenging. So these first two months, um, there's been a lot of just sickness or illness in the mm-hmm. household. So of course it's the height of flu season yeah. and RSV season. Um, so it, and I think when Brooke was about three weeks old, Claire brought home a bug from school and uh, Brooke caught it. And you know, when you have a really young baby, any fever over 100.4 yeah. is a hospitalization. So yeah. um, we did end up in the hospital for about a week with Brooke oh. and, you know, lots of tests. I think people aren't, don't know sort of why it's the 100.4, but it's, it's just, um, you, you do end up having to go to the hospital being tested for everything. Do they have um, to do like the spine? Sometimes they do spinal taps, right? When they little, have to immediately. Yeah. I, I've, I've known other people to go through that. Yeah. Were you so thinking I, it was just a bug and these were just precautionary or were, were there concerns that something else was going on? So I had no idea. <laughs> I think that was what was scary is mm-hmm. that um, I knew that there was this threshold, this 100.4 threshold, um, but I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what would happen. Um, and it, I, I thought the spinal tap was kind of a last resort sort of thing, but it's not. It's actually um, a diagnostic to figure out what's causing the fever and making sure that it's not something that could cause further harm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to go through this litany of tests right off the bat as soon as you get into the hospital. Um, and it's it's pretty scary. Yeah. So um Luckily for us, it ended up just sort of being an upper respiratory condition. Um, she was treated in the hospital for the week, and then she was perfectly fine. It didn't change any of her growth, her milestones, and trust me, she is chunking up beautifully. She <laughs> is chunking up beautifully. I love oh the pictures. God. I keep thinking she looks, you know how when you take close-ups of babies, they look bigger than they are? So I'm sure yes. she's not very big, but some of your cute pictures with her big cheeks and her smile, I'm like, <laughs> she looks like she's six months old. Like, what happened? <laughs> She does. I know. Now, when you say she is tall, too. So uh-huh. she's just she's my my nice, big, healthy girl. Um, she's in the 80th percentile for everything. So she she is my bigger girl. But yeah, she's got those cheeks and chins, which I just love on babies and those roly poly legs. And that's just going to probably keep getting better. That's oh, that's really, really fun. Um well, we do, we should wrap up soon, but anything else, any, do you have any wise words now that you've been through this initial postpartum period a second time for anybody who's adding baby number two? Cause I know we have so many. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, it's, it's adding a second is definitely hard. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there's a big adjustment period for everybody in the family and you're suddenly juggling two schedules, uh, two different demands. And they might not always work out, but it is worth it. You can get through it. And it's it's just wonderful seeing them become siblings, which oh. has been my favorite part to date. That is really, that's awesome. Well, we plan to have you on again. I'm going to take advantage of your six-month maternity leave and keep checking in with you. So this, this last time felt like a long time, but we'll have to hop on and record again soon. And um, listeners, if you guys have anything you'd love to know from Allison or anything you want us to talk about, you know where to find us. You can email us hello at themomhour.com um, or just find this episode and leave a comment on the show notes and track us down because I know people have had so much fun following along. And Allison, thanks so much for kind of opening up about all this. My pleasure. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye.